Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. If you had a choice and could only keep either your brain or your heart, which one would you choose? <laughs> Thank you. Because <laughs> I'm sure in an artificial way we can still keep you alive without a heart. But neither one would be very helpful to lose. Your life quality, at least, let's say, would be greatly diminished if you lost either one of those. So it's sort of a pointless choice which one you will lose. It becomes a similar question when we come to a dichotomy that is foreign to the Bible but is very common to us, which is a difference or dichotomy between the Spirit and the Word of God. What I mean is there are some gatherings of God's people where it is obvious that the Spirit is emphasized. You go into these assemblies and everyone is very expectant that the Spirit will be present and that He will be active. The Spirit is sung about, He is prayed about, He is prayed to, He is welcomed. The pastor speaks often about the Holy Spirit. Everyone moves around actively awaiting an act of the Holy Spirit. But in some of these assemblies, the Word is left on the pulpit while the pastor walks back and forth away from it to tell stories and to talk about the Spirit, to pray and to sing and to dance. But the Word sits there all alone as if there's some difference between emphasizing the Word and emphasizing the Spirit. But we have to be fair, and you can go into other assemblies where what you will find is just the opposite. The Word is emphasized. There is a quiet solemnity about the gathering. There's no joking or jesting allowed. There is a great reverence done to the Word of God. You have it perhaps on the walls. You have the Bible everywhere you go. It's memorized. It's sung. It's spoken. And then when the pastor gets up to preach, he has to use both hands to carry his massive study Bible that is overflowing with annotations and bookmarks and pounded onto the pulpit. He opens it and tells you from the Greek and the Hebrew exegetes line by line. There is a clear, heavy emphasis on God's Word. But the room is cold as ice. <laughs> and there's not only not an expectation that the Holy Spirit will do anything, but there is a pleading that he won't <laughs> so that he doesn't interrupt the order. So in our experience, it's not uncommon, and you probably have examples, where we tend to separate out. You either emphasize the Holy Spirit or you emphasize the Word of God. And you might even think for your own self, what kind of a person are you? Are you a Word person? Are you a Spirit person? This is a really ironic result, consequence, happening, because the Spirit is the only reason we have the Word. <laughs> he Himself inspired the Word for us. And how do we know anything about a Holy Spirit, whether there even is a Holy Spirit? The only way we know anything about Him is in His Word. The two are so closely conjoined. Jesus never separated them. Paul never separated them. Peter never caused a division between them. It's something that simply happens in our lives and in our time. If a father were to give his son a bicycle for Christmas, I think the father would be equally grieved if one of two things were to happen. One, 
if the child so much loved the bicycle that he forgot entirely about his father and wouldn't speak to him for days because he was so fixated upon the bicycle. That would be a grief to the father. On the other hand, I think it'd be a grief to the father if the son rejected the bicycle, said, I don't want it. I just want you. I don't want the bicycle. I think similarly, we grieve the Holy Spirit in both of those ways. He himself inspired the Bible to give to us. He wants us to have the scriptures. And so if we should, on the one hand, focus so much on the scriptures that we entirely neglect the giver of the scriptures, the one who inspired them, we have no expectation that he's even present, that would be a grief to him. Or on the other hand, if in our desire to so focus upon the spirit, we in effect reject the present that he's given us in the word, that also would be a grief to the spirit. Nobody has a corner on grieving the spirit. We all do it in our various ways. That is why we have this lesson today. If you've been with us, you know that we have been talking about the various works of the Holy Spirit. We talked about how the Holy Spirit conveys God's presence. And in conveying God's presence, he does various other things. We saw that he is the giver of life. Physically, he's there at creation, but also and especially spiritually, he causes us to be born again. We move on now to the next work of the Holy Spirit, which is that the Holy Spirit conveys truth. And we're going to cut this lesson in half and focus today on one half of it, next week on the other. Today we're focused on the fact that the Holy Spirit has inspired the scriptures. Inspiration this week illumination next week. So our first matter of business today is going to be to consider from the scriptures themselves what it means when we say that the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible. And then after we've established that, we want to turn and consider if your Bible really is inspired by the Holy Spirit, how should that shape the way you approach it? So let's begin by just considering the whole question of inspiration. Maybe a word you've heard. What does it mean that the Holy Spirit has inspired the Scriptures? The text that we're going to be focused on here, if you have a Bible, is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Peter writes this, starting in verse 20. Chapter 1, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy of Scripture, that's what he's talking about, was ever produced by the will of man, but, and here is our definition of inspiration, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the Apostle Peter. He's pointing back to the Old Testament, to the 39 books in the front part of your Bible. And he's saying, you see all of those books, the men whom God used to write those books, the Holy Spirit carried them along as they wrote them. That's why we call them inspired. But this is more than just how Peter would view the Old Testament. This is his view of, he says, prophecy. This is his view of inspiration, of Scripture in general. And so although 
we have to go back in time. This is certainly how Peter would have viewed New Testament Scripture too. It just wasn't canonized yet. So all of Scripture, all 66 books in your Bible, the Scripture writers, Peter said, did this. They spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now break that apart and see that there are two ingredients in inspiration here. The first is that those who wrote Scripture spoke from God. But the way he puts it is, men spoke. That's the first ingredient. The second would be from God. But the very first is that men spoke. This is one of the parts of our theology that we don't have to convince anybody about. Your atheist neighbor agrees with you here, even if nowhere else. Muslims, Hindus, everyone agrees with us that this is true when it comes to inspiration. At least this, that the Bible was written by men. And sometimes that's given to Christians as a challenge. It is a book by men. How can you base your life upon it? But we don't disagree. We don't disagree. Peter doesn't disagree. He says prophecy happened like this. Men spoke. <laughs> They're real men, flesh and blood, just like you and me, human beings. They are the ones through whom the scriptures came to us. Otherwise, how would scripture get to us? It could be, I don't know, by a plant, by an animal, by an angel, by a robot. Who else is there? Unless God was going to just send down the scriptures pre-written as he could. He did it on Sinai to us, but he chose not to do that. Therefore, it has to come through people who can write. And the only people who can write are human beings, men. In this case, men. Men spoke. Now, the men who spoke, those who wrote the scriptures, did not always know that they were writing scripture. Now, some of them did. So when you read the prophets in the Old Testament, when they begin something with, thus says the Lord, they are consciously aware that they're conveying truth from God to their audience. But not all of the Bible, not even all of the Old Testament comes in the form of thus says the Lord. That's mostly in the prophets. Some of it is narrative. Some of it is poetry. There's proverbs. There's wisdom literature. There's a variety of different kinds of literature. And many of the people writing both Old and New Testament weren't fully aware that they were writing what would later be considered scripture. Take just for example, Luke, Paul's companion, who's responsible for giving us both the gospel of Luke and then the book that follows that chronologically, the book of Acts. Those are both from the pen of Luke. When you get to the very beginning of that good physician's gospel, you read this. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught." There have been Christians, especially in the past, there are just a few today, who have believed that the way God gave us the Bible, the way the Holy Spirit inspired the scripture, Scriptures, was by pure dictation. In other words, the Spirit came upon men and completely overrode them, almost made them mechanical. And then the Spirit himself simply wrote the Bible for us. That's not true. That's not what happened. The Holy Spirit did not override the human personalities, the people 
who are writing the scriptures. That's why sometimes you have people writing scripture who don't even know they're writing scripture. This is not true. Not only our text says men spoke, but even common sense denies it. If you read the four gospel accounts, even as a child, you know there's a difference between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John writes like John. John doesn't write like Luke. Luke writes like Luke, and not like Mark, and not like Matthew. This is why first-year seminary students, or those who are just getting into the Greek language in which the New Testament were written, always start by reading John, and never start by reading Luke. <laughs> There's a reason for that. Their styles are so different. One's a doctor, and one was a fisherman, and it does show. There is difference of personality. But Peter says it, men spoke, real men, fishermen, doctor men, people just like us. It's important to remember that scripture does come to us from people. Now, the fact that scripture comes from people, it's not mere dictation. It's not an overriding of people by which the Holy Spirit gives us the word, but it's the spirit carrying people along is not an argument against the possibility of Scripture being perfect and from God. Actually, it's just an example of how miraculous it is that that's true. Here's what one theologian says. It requires a greater miracle to bring forth an inerrant text, that means a Bible with no errors, from sinful prophets and apostles than if their own personality and agency had been suspended, rendering them as mere secretaries of the Spirit's dictation. Someone might say, if the Bible really does come from men, and if men are imperfect to err is human, then there's no way the Bible can be free of errors. If it's really coming to us from authentic men, because men by definition are imperfect. Well, as Bavink, the Dutch theologian, points out, that argument when applied to the incarnation doesn't stand, and it shouldn't apply to Scripture. If to be human is to have errors, is to have imperfections, then what do you make of Jesus? Was he not completely human? He was entirely, fully, and authentic human since the time of the incarnation. And he was without error. He was absolutely perfect, both human, truly, thoroughly, authentically human, and yet by the work of the Holy Spirit who came over Mary, he was also, he was also perfect, those two natures together. It's the same way with the scriptures. The scriptures are authentically human. Men spoke real men, not overridden, not suspended in their personalities. They were writing, and yet the Holy Spirit carried them in such a way that the product is without any errors. What do you say to people that, uh, <clears throat> I've even had pastors tell me this, is that, uh, well, it was an errand that was given. Mm. Bobby's, Bobby's question is, there are some pastors who will say the Bible was inerrant as originally given, but we don't have any of the original writings because they're on papyrus that dissipate. What we have are copies, and therefore some of those copies, the scribes writing them sometimes make mistakes. That's true. 
So we don't really have an inerrant word because we don't have the originals. But your response, Bobby already gave a response, which is excellent. Just as we trust that God gave us the scriptures originally, we trust if God's the one doing it, he's not going to undermine his own doing and then make it impossible for us to have any access to it. So we are trusting in the providence of God in preserving for us the scriptures that were originally inspired. That's the basic answer. And then if you wanted a further answer, the reality is we have what scholars call an embarrassment of riches when it comes to copies of the originals, both how early we have copies and then the number of copies that we have available to us of the New Testament writings is fairly absurd. And if you compare it to anything else, the Iliad, Homer's works, which we all trust, you know, but if you compare it to any of that, it's far and away superior. So someone could look into that as well. So good question. So that is the first ingredient here, that scripture is men speaking, real men really speaking, writing. But that leads us to another ingredient, which is they spoke from God. And this is how Peter in our text defines that, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There's a mystery here that sleeps in the depths of God and no human intellect will ever disturb it. But there is something we can say about it, even if we can't quite reach the depths of it. Here's the usual definition given. This one's by Matthew Barrett. The inspiration of Scripture refers to that act whereby the Holy Spirit came upon the authors of Scripture, causing them to write exactly what God intended while simultaneously preserving each author's writing style and personality, this supernatural work of the Holy Spirit upon the human authors means that the author's words are God's words and therefore are reliable, trustworthy, and authoritative. This is a very good definition of inspiration. But also, it's not really a definition of inspiration. It's more a definition of what inspiration produces. Inspiration gives us this product, a Bible that has words which are, at the same time, men's words and completely God's words. In fact, the great Westminster theologian, John Frame, his definition of inspiration touches, really it boils down just to that one point. He says this, inspiration is a divine act creating an identity between a divine word and a human word. That's what this is. That's the product of inspiration. Your Bible, is it from Paul? Yeah. Is it from God? Yes. Is it from David? Yes, it is. Is it from God? Yes. When it comes to the process, what inspiration actually is, all these definitions say it's a divine act. <laughs> That's about all we can say about it. I mean, our text says the Spirit carried them along. But that's not meant literally. They weren't moved from one location to another. This is a metaphor. Theologians like to say the Holy Spirit superintended their writing, which is good because there's a lot of syllables, and that makes us feel better about it, you know, superintended. And it is a good word to use, but what does it mean? I don't know. You don't know. Superintended. The best we can say is the Holy Spirit was so closely involved. Doing what? I don't know, but he was doing it. He's God. And he was there, take our text metaphor, 
carrying along the Bible writers. Even Luke, when he doesn't know, he's doing research. He doesn't know he's writing scripture, as far as we can tell. And as he's doing the research, as he's interviewing eyewitnesses and writing it down, the Holy Spirit invisibly is present, carrying Luke along, so that when Luke writes Luke's word, God writes God's word. And so you end up with a Bible that is both Luke's word and God's word, Peter's word and God's word, Paul's word, God's word, Isaiah's word and God's word. Now that might seem a little complicated, but how else will you make any sense even of the way the New Testament treats the Old Testament? For example, Jesus in Matthew 22 looks back to a Psalm of David, it's in the scripture, Psalm 82, verse 6, he looks back to that Psalm and Jesus says, David in the Spirit, calls the Messiah his Lord. Jesus is making an argument, but this is how he puts it. David, he's the one who did the calling. He's the one who did the speaking, the saying, David. And he did it in the Spirit. Got it. But now look at this. Paul points back to Isaiah, Old Testament scripture, and says this, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. Did Isaiah say it or did the Holy Spirit say it? Paul says the Holy Spirit said it through Isaiah. Jesus says David said it, but in the Holy Spirit. It is because, again, this identity between what man is saying and what God is saying. So that you can say of the scriptures either the Holy Spirit said or the human author said, and both are entirely true. It's a mystery to us, but that's the way that Scripture speaks about itself. The Holy Spirit said the Scriptures through Isaiah, through David. Phrase it however you want to phrase it. Now, we've been talking about the Old Testament mainly, but just briefly, we could say the same of the New Testament, and even more so. I've titled this lesson, Spirit of Truth, and I draw that actually from what Jesus said about New Testament inspiration. Jesus told his apostles, who would be the very basis of all New Testament scriptures, when the Spirit of Truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Now, that is a promise applicable to all of us to some degree, but mainly meant for those apostles who would write the scriptures. The spirit of truth would come and guide them, or we could say carry them along. Just the chapter before in John, Jesus said, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. He'll do it. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. There's the human element. Your eyewitness testimony matters as authentic, real human authors. But also the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth will be with you. He'll be bearing witness about me too. And really, they'll be doing it at exactly the same time. So they'll write the New Testament as humans, men speaking. but They will do it from God. So... That is inspiration, at least that's as much of inspiration as I understand, and if you understand more, come tell me. But that is the Holy Spirit's work of inspiring 66 books of the scriptures. Now, all that remains to us now is to ask this question. If that's really the kind of book that we have here in front of us, 
inspired by the Holy Spirit, how should that affect the way we approach this book? <laughs> They're not suggestions. It certainly gives an authority because these are God's words. I'm going to give you two applications. Here's the first one. We honor the Word. You want to honor the Spirit? Here's how to do it. Honor the Word. If you don't honor the Word, you're not honoring the Spirit because He inspired the Word for us. So we honor the Word. I was speaking just the other week with someone who's a friend who had dropped out of their small group because they felt they were just going too slowly through the Scriptures. And he had the same objection about the preaching here. It's like we're exegeting commas. <laughs> and listen, we're very open-hearted. If you have any criticisms or concerns or whatever, I assure you we always welcome them and give them serious thought. But after giving this one serious thought and knowing this friend of mine, I thought, I don't think this is a problem with how we do small group or preaching. I think the problem in this case is that he does not rightly honor the word as if it were really inspired by the Holy Spirit. John chapter 10, Jesus based an entire argument upon one Hebrew word in the Old Testament. If you remember, Jesus had claimed to be equal with God, and the Jews did not like that. And Jesus made an argument like this. Isn't it written in your law, your scriptures? I said you are God's. That's from the Psalms. I said you are God's. In the Psalms, that was referring to leaders among the people. I said you are God's. Jesus said, if he called them God's to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I'm the son of God? That word God's is one Hebrew word, Elohim, from Psalm 82, verse 6. And Jesus' whole argument rides upon that single word. And someone could respond to Jesus and say, you can't make that whole argument based on one word. What if it wasn't even copied down correctly? Jesus says, listen, Scripture cannot be broken. Now, the commas, which we supposedly exegete here, <laughs> were not in the original. Hence why we don't exegete them. However, Jesus said, Scripture cannot be set aside, not even the jot or the tittle. Referring to a tiny little Hebrew graphical marker that separated a hey and a chet, two Hebrew letters. Tiny little marker. And the tittle was actually the iota, the tiniest of the Greek letters. That was Jesus. And he cared even about the graphical mark and the tiniest Greek letter. None of that could be violated. Now, we don't treat any other book this way, okay? We're not microscopic on any other book. I will admit to you, and forgive me, that I do like William Shakespeare. I know that your high school teacher made you read him, and it turned you sour toward him. I understand. But I do enjoy Shakespeare, some of his writings. But this is not a standard we would hold Shakespeare to. Not even the bard would we expect to have picked every word perfectly. So we would not make massive arguments based on tiny single words that the bard wrote. But when it comes to Scripture, the Holy Spirit is infinite times greater than William Shakespeare in writing, and therefore we can look at individual small words to focus upon 
them and consider them all inerrant. We can honor the word down to that level, and we ought to do it. So if you want to honor the Holy Spirit, first, honor the word of God. And honor it in the large parts, honor it in the small parts. It's part of the reason, it's really, I guess, all of the reason we do exegetical preaching verse by verse here in an attempt to honor the word and not miss any part of it. So that is the first application. If you want to honor the Spirit, honor the Word. And here is the second one. If you want to honor the Word, honor the Spirit. <laughs> Let's not separate them apart. If this book is truly inspired by the Spirit, then you cannot just read it as if it were a book. We start there, but then we have to read it as if it's more than just a book. We ought to read this, the Word with the expectation that the Holy Spirit who inspired it is still with us. Letters alone, even the letters of the Bible, the ink printed upon whatever you have in front of you, even those letters, great as they are, would do nothing at all in your life. Nothing without the work of the Holy Spirit actively conveying those into your heart. I'm bleeding into what I'm going to talk about next week, but I'm just going to do it anyways. Next week we'll see illumination, but here we can end on that point to prepare ourselves and repeat it next week. These words are dead words without the work of the Holy Spirit, even in the present as you study them. This is not a dead book, but it's dead to us unless the Holy Spirit gives life, unless the Holy Spirit vivifies us to understand it. Maybe more practically, just fast forward in your mind to tomorrow morning when you hopefully get up and have the Bible open in front of you, going to have your daily intake of the Word, and you find, I don't know, maybe you're doing the church's Bible reading plan, maybe you're reading through your own Bible reading plan, maybe you just pick a book and read through it, that's fine. Whatever you're doing, you read a chapter, you read a paragraph, whatever. But you've read that section for tomorrow, and now what do you do? If this is a Holy Spirit-inspired word and not just letters, here's what you do. Number one, because it is a human book, you first ask what the humans meant when they wrote it, because that's what you do with anything you read. You ask what the people meant. What did Paul mean when he wrote that, if you're in Romans? What did David mean when he wrote that? So you'll read some of the context. You'll try to interpret what you're reading. You'll compare it with cross-references somewhere else. You might even crack open a commentary until you get the meaning. You don't just make up a meaning. You try to find what the meaning is. It was set by what the humans meant when they wrote it. So you're trying to figure that out. Great. Now you've figured that out. You know what it means. You close your Bible. No, you're not done. Now you're ready to start reading the Bible in a real sense. If this was just a book, you're done. If this is a book from the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is with you now, and when the people spoke, the Holy Spirit spoke, the Holy Spirit with you now, put that right there for you for a reason. Shakespeare's not like that. <laughs> Nothing else is like that. The Bible is like that. What you just read, the meaning you've just gleaned, good, but why now, not just what did the person mean, what did the Holy Spirit mean and what does He mean to do in your life through what you just read? You're not done with your Bible reading until you've made an approach at least to that very question, to try to understand what God is speaking to you. 
This could be looking at that text and saying, is there a sin here that I'm being called to repent of or to avoid? Is there a promise being set before me that I need to grab onto to endure the trial I'm going through? Or is there an example in this person, positive or negative, that the Spirit wants me to observe? Is there a command that's given that I have no choice but to obey? And is there knowledge that I'm going to need to understand other parts of the Scriptures? And you could go on and on, but you have to ask that question. That's why we do application with the Bible in a way we don't so much with other books. You don't have to with other books. You have to with the Bible because the Holy Spirit inspired it. And as we'll see later, the Spirit is the one working in you to grow you. That's why He gives you a Bible, not just for you to read it, say, that's interesting. You read it, you get the meaning, you say, what is the Spirit wanting to teach me through this? I would encourage you in reading the scriptures to take time to wait in the presence of the Lord. I don't mean anything inherently mystical by that. What I mean is mulling over the meaning of the scriptures with the expectation that the Spirit inspired it for a purpose and wants to use that very genealogy, that very list of sacrifices in the Old Testament, that very passage of Scripture, whatever it is, to work something in your life. This is why we call Him the Spirit of Truth, because He has inspired for us the Scriptures, and let's treat the Scriptures as if He did so.